Welcome back, history nerds. This is Maggie from the good old days. In our first season, we focused heavily on the 19th and early 20th centuries. A few of our listeners suggested that we branch out a bit. So, in this episode, we are hurling ourselves out of our comfort zone and traveling back to the first century of the current era. The year 60, to be exact. In the year 60, back when England was known as the island of Britannia by the Romans, Queen Boudicca of the Iceni tribe was raising an army. Following the death of her husband, King Prasidigus, the Roman authorities assumed control over the Iceni territory. Roman soldiers muscled people off their lands, called in loans owed to the empire, and brutalized Boudicca and her two young daughters. The Romans thought they had beaten the Iceni into submission, but they might as well have thrown a javelin into a hornet's nest. Boudicca mustered a fighting force of tens of thousands. Some estimates put their number as high as 200,000 Celts recruited from tribes all over Britannia. They sacked three southern cities with little resistance, victories that spurned on the hope that Boudicca would be able to expel Rome from Britannia forever. This hope was not to be born. Upon meeting the Romans in open battle, the greatest soldiers the world had ever seen cut through layer after layer of Celtic attack, eviscerating the enemy while losing only 400 soldiers in the process. Boudicca's rebellion, though a failure, has never been forgotten and remains a staple in early British history today. This is the story of Boudicca, the warrior queen of the Iceni. <laughs> podcast. I am Maggie Coomer. And I'm Jasmine Brand. And we have a special one for you today. We are talking about Boudicca, Queen of the Iceni. Jasmine, before we did this episode, what did you know about Boudicca? Really nothing, honestly. Um, I knew the name, and that's about it. I, I didn't know when, what time period we were talking about or anything past that. So this was all brand new to me. Well, not totally, right? You've seen you've seen a statue of Boudicca, right? Oh, yes. Yes, yes. I forgot about that. And this is <laughs> most people who have seen the statue probably won't put two and two together like I just didn't do. Um, in Westminster, there is a statue of Boudicca and her daughters that hundreds of people walk past every single day and don't know who it is. Yeah, you sent me a, a great article that I think a, a loose a loose quotation is thousands of people, hundreds of people walk past that statue every single day and they have absolutely no idea what it means. Before we get into her story, I think it's important to set up what who are we talking about? Like who is the group of people we're talking about? Where are we placing ourselves? All of this. And so that's going to be in the first century. Um, her story particularly takes place in about 60 or 61 common era, C, A, D, however you want to <laughs> lay that out. Um, and she is the queen of one particular tribe within the Celts that occupy the British Isles at the time. Now, when we think of the Celts, we tend to think of Ireland, Scotland, and that's eventually where they would be pushed to, but they actually originate from Central and Eastern Europe. And 
their entire history is battling with the Romans. And eventually the Romans manage to push them off of the continent entirely. And they end up on the, on the British Isles. And then when Rome gets a little greedier and they start venturing to the British Isles, it first of all fails. The, the Celts are pretty fierce about keeping the Romans out. But they will try and try again. By the mid-40s, Rome makes an, another significant push and they actually begin colonizing the main island of Britain. And so the, the, at this point, it's called Britannia. So that's how we're going to refer to it from here on out, the island of Britannia. Okay, So the mid-40s CE, Rome, uh, under the Emperor Claudius, they begin to colonize the island of Britannia. At that point, several of the Celtic tribes, their leaders enter into a what's called a client-king status relationship, which basically means they maintain autonomy over their people, but they pay homage to Rome. And it really be- gets sticky when uh, a leader dies, especially if there are no sons to take take control of the throne, take control of the leadership role, which is exactly what happens uh, in this situation with Boudicca. And it's a big, it shows a big difference between the Romans and the Celts because the Romans, I mean, they are a patriarchal, I can never say that word, they are a patriarchy. The Romans are a patriarchy. They run through the... Um, They're the original the, patriarchy. Yeah. <laughs> they run through the male line. They only recognize men in positions of leadership. You know, if you think 1950s housewife, that's what the women were essentially supposed to be. Think 1950s housewife in like the first century. So a little bit older, but the ideals are still there. So wife and mother essentially is all that women could be. Um, Instead and, of Givenchy, it's it's togas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wife and mother or prostitute is kind of the, the roles that you get. Those are women. your options. Um, however, with the Celts, it was really different. They have women involved in pretty much every thread of their society. I don't even know what we would call them because we don't we don't have a word for that. Um, what do you mean? What do well, you mean? Well, it's not a matriarchy. It's not a patriarchy. Like what? It, I guess it's an equal. They're striving for an equal community. So, what? What I've what I've noticed it as I've I've just studied different different periods of history. It seems like the. The more rigid the structure, the more rigid the gender roles. Like if you're it's a difference between like look at the United States, for instance, in the 1800s, Western states typically didn't have as strict gender gender norms. Right. Because in order to survive, you need all the people of your tribe to do everything that they can. Right. Versus in like a more conventionally structured society you don't need everyone to pull all of their physical weight. And so you can, you know, kind of split hairs and 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 think up more strict and rigid gender gender norms. If we think of it in the structure of power, so nations or time periods that are more power hungry or they are, if we look at colonization, those sorts of periods of time, they're going to focus on patriarchy because it is a way for them to dictate power within their communities. That's kind of how I think of this. And we don't really see that with the Celts. They've kind of been fleeing more than anything. And then they're setting up their communities in in that way. I, I don't know if, what you think about that, but I think it's kind of a combination of that. Let's talk about some of the roles that, that Celtic women took on, right? Druids specifically, because Boudicca might have been a druid. So tell us about druids. Yeah, so druids were like the top top tier in society. They were 
Um, most often, if you think of them as like a priest or a priestess, that's their main role. But they also learned all of the history. They were the judges. They were the law keepers. They knew all of the tribe's lore. And this is this position is going to vary from tribe to tribe. That's important to know um, based on what they do and what their customs and traditions are. And that would have been the responsibility of the druids within that tribe to keep that and make sure that tradition was upheld. They're also going to be astrologists, mathematicians, teachers, and training took 20 years because they didn't have like a written down language. They didn't have books that they're passing on. So it would be one druid to another kind of teaching them and training them, which makes me think of the giver. If you think of that kind of relationship of there's one person who kind of knows everything is this old wise person and they're going to pass it on to the next generation. And that is a little bit, a little insight into how the Druids work. There's a very complex system behind this and it's, it all goes with spirituality and the earth and, and everything else too. And that, that ties a little bit into paganism. We could do an entire episode on Druids and, and we might. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they're incredibly interesting. And again, women were allowed to become a, a priestess or a judge. I mean, they were in some of these top positions in society, and you didn't necessarily have to be the queen like Boudicca. You could just be an ordinary person. So class is not as well defined as we see in Roman society either. Things get sticky for Boudicca when her husband Prasidigus dies. So King Prasidigus, before he died, even though he was a client king, which isn't, and he had two daughters with Boudicca, so he's a client king to Rome, which means Rome is going to assume control over the Iceni kingdom once Prasidigus dies. But Prasidigus tries to stop the dissolution of his empire, of his lands, and essentially tries to parlay a peaceful joint rule succession agreement between his two daughters and Queen Boudicca and the new emperor of Rome, Nero. Unfortunately, Romans didn't recognize female succession, so they're going to completely disregard Prasidigus's will, and they're going to treat the Iceni as a conquered people. As the story goes, the governor had Queen Boudicca whipped in public and then allowed Roman soldiers to, to rape and defile her daughters. They confiscated the lands and the property of the high-ranking tribesmen of the Iceni, they recalled massive loans given or forced upon the Iceni, depending on who you ask, uh, during the Claudius Prasidigus era. It was essentially an exercise in despotic domination on behalf of Nero. But uh, Boudicca, she's going to get her revenge. So the whole point of the Romans doing what they did was to try and make Boudicca... Take her power. I guess, submit. They wanted her to feel like they were the ones in charge and that she had no power here and she could be queen in name to her tribe, but that did not mean that she had any power with the Romans. She could not act as though her now deceased husband had with them. But it has the opposite effect. She becomes angry, as you would. She becomes livid, and she is going to unite the tribes in the area against the Romans because the Iceni were not the only people who had been through this. So by some accounts, Boudicca was able to rally hundreds of thousands of troops. Most most historians, and we're going to talk about the historians we're, we're referencing here, would put the put the army at about 200,000 people to the Romans, I don't know, like 10,000. 
it was it was a massive massive difference and this makes them very successful because they might not have the armor that the romans had they might not have the tactical skill and training but they are mad and there's a lot of them Yes, absolutely. They're mad as hell, and they're not going to take it anymore, and the Romans are outnumbered like 10 to 1. Absolutely. And it's interesting as well because, I mean, Maggie, we've talked about your favorite movie. Braveheart. Freedom! Sorry. (laughs) That imagery that you have of the blue war paint, and that that is honestly how they fought. In fact, some soldiers would fight completely naked to throw the Romans off in addition to having the freedom of movement. So they weren't protected by any heavy armor, but they could move a lot quicker. And this worked in kind of a guerrilla warfare style. That's what they excelled at. They excelled in guerrilla warfare. They're able to sack three cities, including Londinium, modern-day London. They sack three cities, burn them to the ground, and they... they they employ a scorched earth policy. I, there's no other way to put it. They just level these places. They kill everyone. They do not take prisoners. Well, and these were their three main cities. Like, they picked these tactically. So although although they're often not credited with having a lot of military training, mi- military historians looking at this story credit Boudicca with having a brilliant military mind for picking particularly these three cities and the order that they take them in. And what was the order? They started modern-day Colchester. They then make their way to London, modern-day London or Londinium. And then they make their way to the farthest east, which is St. – is it St. Alban? St. Albans? Yeah, St. Albans. I did have that right. And so they're kind of pushing them into this small – small section of Britain into the small corner. They're trying to corner them. So they have nowhere to go other than back across the Brit- the English Channel. And that is their goal. And they're doing really, really well. But I think they get a little overconfident because when they come to face the Romans in their fourth and final battle, while the Romans have organized, they're on an open field. The way they've set this up is they've put the Celts with their back to a forest they have nowhere to go and the Celts are so confident in this as they invite um, you know the children and the other people from their communities and they form a wagon wheel around them so they literally have nowhere to go that reminds me of a modern reference the battle of first battle of Manassas the union uh, officers brought their families and everyone's it was a big picnic and it turns into a terrible chaotic bloodbath yeah bloody mess And that's exactly what's going to happen here. So even though, I mean, the Roman soldiers are far outnumbered, but because of their skill and their way that they can fight them in an open field, they have the advantage. And I think it was 70 to 80,000 Celts would die on this field. I've heard it described several times as the Romans formed a wedge and just cut through the Celts time and time and time again until nearly 80,000 bodies lay on that field. It reminds me of uh, it reminds me of 300 when <laughs> when the Spartans form the they're in the middle of that little channel or no, the, the, the pass and they keep repelling Xerxes. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So as you watch the, the bodies pile up and their families are watching, I mean, this is a horrific horrific scene but it puts the confidence back into the romans that they don't have to leave that they can stay and continue to tax these people and really wear them down until they're eventually pushed further and further out 
the remaining any anyone who survived uh, on the side of the Celts, they scattered to the winds. There are a few theories about what happened to Boudicca, but she died immediately following the battle. She either took poison and poisoned her daughters to avoid the inevitably cruel and terrible punishment that she would have received at the hands of the of the Romans. Or uh, she died from a battle wound and was given given a, a lavish burial, I believe is how it was described. What, tell, what do you think about these two theories of Boudicca's death? What have you read about them? So this actually puts the whole story under fire for its validity and truthfulness because both of these theories come from the two Roman historians that wrote this story down, and neither one of them were actually here. Neither one of them witnessed this happen. The closest account we probably have is from Tacitus, Tacitus and that is because he was born believe, in the year 60. <laughs> he was born in the year that this happens, but uh, we believe that his father-in-law was actually in Britain at the time of these events. So he might have had like a secondhand account. And he is the one who brings up the poisoning, correct? Correct. I believe so. Yes. Yeah. And the poisoning, and that would have been kind of an assumption because that's what a good Roman would have done. If you, if you failed in battle, you were expected to die an honorable death, so fall on your sword, essentially. And poisoning would have been more appropriate for a woman, so that's where this theory kind of gains its traction. The other theory, um, I don't know exactly what Cassius Dio writes down. I believe it's Cassius Dio who who suggested that she had been carted off and buried by her people and given a lavish burial. And that's supported by different burial sites that have been found in the UK. So, um, there's been burial sites with like lots of gold and chariots and all of this pageantry that suggests a royal, a royal burial, high-ranking woman or a warrior. Um, specifically, with with one of the graves they found, there were emblems that only warriors had, and that was a, a woman's grave. So there could have been something like that for Boudicca had she been buried in that way. But we're not really sure. And that goes for the whole story. In fact, there's a whole theory on how this story just follows a Roman script, essentially. And that is the rape of Lucretia, as it's most commonly referred to. Shakespeare wrote a poem about this, and it is part of Roman... I guess Roman history, really, it was written down by a Roman historian. And there are so many parallels between Lucretia and Boudicca, at least their stories. There's all the main elements, I would say, in there. So this story is set several hundred years before Boudicca, and it is about the founding of Rome as a republic. Basically, what happens is there is this beautiful, chaste, perfect Roman housewife named Lucretia. She is married to a Roman soldier, and he is off at battle doing his duty to the monarchy. And the king's son happens to be in the same town as Lucretia. His name is Sexus Tarquinius. And depending on which version you read, um, he stayed in her house. He didn't. I'm not really sure. Again, this is a story that's been told and retold. Either way, Tarquinius charms his way into her home at some time, at some point in time, and he attacks her. And he tells her that if she does not let him do what he wants, he will kill all in the household and then frame her as an adulteress, dishonoring her and her husband. 
And she pleads and pleads with him not to do anything, but Tarquinius still goes ahead and rapes her. Distraught and suicidal, Lucretia will send for her husband, and once he arrives home, she tells him the whole story, making him promise to avenge her before telling her before telling him the name of her attacker. Once he's promised that and had several soldiers promise alongside him, she kills herself. And he then is plunged into a deep, deep depression and contemplates doing the exact same thing so he can be with Lucretia again. However, the soldiers, the people of the town remind him of his promise that he made to his wife. And to honor her last wish, he's going to help start a revolution that will overturn the monarchy and turn Rome into the republic that it became. So the theory is that is that Boudicca's story is just a, a, a version of, of this story. Absolutely. So they're saying that it has all the same elements. It has that moment of no return almost that includes rape and violence against women. And then this triggering moment that is going to incite violence against the attacker and make them want to have a change. And of course, once they get to the battlefield, the husband makes a stirring speech, just like Boudicca is supposed to have said before this final battle that they ended up losing. And then, um, you have you just have all of these same elements. So the the theory is that Boudicca's story is a retelling of the beginning of Rome. And this was actually I found this on a BBC Four um, program with a doctor Emma Southen is is who brought this up. That story makes me think of an article that I read. It was by a guy named Eric. Adler. It was for a journal called Classical World, and it was called Boudicca's Speeches in Tacitus and Dio. It compared the two speeches. Eric Adler suggested that it was actually Roman literary tradition for for rulers or generals to give a big speech, a big grandois speech to their troops beforehand, so that it might have just been, since the, the two versions of the speech that Boudicca supposedly gives are so different, and specifically says things like, I am a Briton woman, and, and Briton women have led Briton troops for centuries. Like, she wouldn't need to tell that to her countrymen. They would already know that, that female, there were female combat leaders in their society, so that that was just an interesting little side note. But the fact of the matter is, is that these speeches, she might not have even given a speech. There's no way for them to know what she actually said. But it was a, a classical literary tradition in Rome to include when you're talking about battles that the commander gave a big valiant speech before the troops went off to battle. So what do we take away from this story? Well, I think that it's a really interesting history that focuses specifically on a woman that I like. I, I really enjoy that. Well, and it's not a woman in in a typical cir circumstance. When we think of women in history, this is a woman who was fierce. She fought. She wasn't held back by her own society. It's Roman society that she's fighting against. And for me anyway, especially having lived and having a lot of family from England, this kind of is a, is a close thing to me. I want to read something that I did come across that isn't necessarily relevant 
to the story, but just another way that Romans thought of the English, and it really resonated with me and made me feel kind of a closer connection, I guess, to the story. And this was written down in 50 BC by a Roman historian, um, and he was describing the the Celts as a people. Like, when you're speaking to them, what are they like? Because he, he's writing for Rome, who's probably never going to go there. And he says, in conversation with the Gauls, and they used Gauls interchangeably with Celts, speech is brief and enigmatic, proceeding by allusions and innuendo, and often exaggerating to puff themselves up and put others down. They have a threatening, boastful, tragic manner, and yet their minds are sharp and not without aptitude for learning. And for me, I think that still honestly describes at least my family and probably me, <laughs> if not the general British population. It's they're sarcastic. They um, they have this uh, to describe it. Go and read. <laughs> go and read. Um, what's that site I keep telling you to go to? Very British problems. And it fits like yes. what he's saying here fits very British problems perfectly. What is very British problems? It's a Twitter page that I think they made into a, a YouTube as well, but it just goes through, like, what are English problems? Like, how do you politely be mean to someone? <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> but a lot of what I was reading in the Roman accounts of the Celts, it still stands for culture today. So I think there's a lot of Celtic culture that still is in the UK and not just in Scotland or Ireland that we don't even realize. Well, folks, that is the story of Boudicca. We hope you enjoyed this. If you liked what you heard, I want you to head to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. Your feedback is so greatly appreciated. You can also send us an email at mail at thegoodolddayspod.com. Visit thegoodolddayspod.com to see all of our episodes. There is a link to support the show on the front page of the website. All of our Twitter and Instagram feeds are on there as well. It's a pretty cool site, so go on and check it out, thegoodolddayspod.com. Jasmine, what about social stuff? So social stuff, like Maggie just said, you can go to the website and find all of our links. But otherwise, find us on Twitter at the Good OD Pod, and on Facebook and Instagram at the Good Old Days Pod. And follow us, um, send us stuff if you want to hear us talk about something. We have a really exciting mini series coming up after our Suffragist Saturday that we will tell you about next week. And yeah, let us know about your voting too. I want to see some of those stickers. I really like all of the different county and state stickers that there are. So tag us in a photo of one. Absolutely. Well, thank you all so much. We hope you enjoy the rest of your week. Goodbye. Bye.